Welcome to the Fertility Journeys podcast. Here's Dr. Shala Salem. I love to educate people about toxins and where they can learn more about their personal exposure. And today I have Dr. Jenna Hua, who's going to tell us all about how to get tested and more about her company. One of the things I think is difficult is trying to make all of these changes. Don't get overwhelmed because we don't want to create more stress for ourselves. So how do you even start? Depending on where your exposures are coming from, if you take a simple exposure survey that we provide, you can already identify how many times are you eating out. If you're eating out three times a week or more, maybe trying to cut down once, right? Like eating out two times a week or eating out just one time a week. That's a good way to start. If you're using a lot of personal care product, maybe swapping out one or two. We actually get a lot of visitors on our website looking at our approved product to making sure it's free of these toxic chemicals. The shampoo page is one of the most visited page because I think if people use these products day in and day out, maybe that would be a first step to swap. You don't have to swap out everything. Just do one thing at a time and then slowly swapping out the rest. I know the fertility journey is not easy. Many suffer in silence, walking that line between hope and devastation. More often than we know, the path to building a family is met with challenges. I'm Dr. Shala Salem, and for over a decade, I have been helping people just like you on their fertility journey. As a physician and a PCOS warrior who's gone through my own fertility struggles, I am passionate about helping to support your mental and physical well-being, foster your resilience, and help you maintain your sense of self on this difficult journey. I created this podcast to support you. Each week, you can learn from our expert guests about proven holistic and integrative methods to nurture your mind, body, and spirit. And hear women share their own stories to remind you that you are not alone. Welcome to Fertility Journeys. Fertility Journey Life Hacks. Here's the tip of the week. I'm going to read you a quote. The source is unknown, but this is a quote that I really love. Don't let the entire staircase overwhelm you. Just focus on that first step. These past two years have been very overwhelming. And one of the things that I always worry about when I'm out here educating about what are the lifestyle changes that we can do to support fertility is here I am just loading more things on the plate of women, couples, people who are already overwhelmed. And so that's one of my biggest fears when I'm doing this. I know how overwhelming it can feel to eat right, exercise, meditate, do yoga, being mindful, at the same time supporting your relationship, taking care of your job, going to appointments, and just managing life. So I often remind my patients to just focus on one thing at a time. During this week, I'm just going to focus on X, eliminating plastic, going on a walk five minutes each day, focusing on accomplishing one thing at a time. That's something that's always helped me and helped me to keep moving forward and to feel less overwhelmed. Here are a few of my tips to reduce overwhelm when we're making lifestyle changes on your fertility journey. Number one. Try to find a support system. When you're on the fertility journey, it can feel so daunting and so overwhelming. Making sure that you're communicating your needs with your partner. And I often recommend that partners work on 
lifestyle changes together in order to support each other. Number two, when you are making lifestyle changes, know that every little bit is helpful, whether that's a five minute walk or 30 minute walk, any little bit that you're doing is beneficial. I used to think, well, if I can't get to the gym for an hour, who cares? It's not worth it then. It just doesn't make sense, right? Any little bit that you can do, if it's, you know, doing a few squats in your kitchen while you're cooking, it's very hard to sometimes make time for all the things. So if it just can be a few minutes of movement or eating one serving of vegetables this week, take that as an accomplishment. Number three, be kind to yourself. Practice self-love and know that you're doing your best. We all have days where things didn't go the way we planned. We didn't eat healthy. We didn't exercise. We didn't get outside today. You didn't get to bed on time. Building new habits take time and lots of self-love. So be patient with yourself and give yourself space. Give yourself time to make these changes. And number four, schedule self-care and make self-care a non-negotiable. Oftentimes, everything gets done on our list before taking care of ourselves. Now, self-care doesn't mean you have to go for a massage or you have to get a facial or you have to exercise or meditate. Self-care can come in many different forms. Maybe for you, it's doing an activity that you enjoy. Could be crafting. It could be going on a bike ride. It could be driving by your favorite beach and watching the sunset something that brings you joy. Try to find a way to practice one thing that brings you joy every day. I know these past two years have been so hard, so challenging. Be kind to yourself. Know that you've been through a difficult time. So much trauma, so much grief for many these past two years. And again, as I always stress on my show, Working with a mental health professional during this time, I can't emphasize that enough. Even if you think you're fine, you're doing well, all of us are stressed, all of us need support. And especially for those who are on fertility journey, I think it's so important. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoy today's interview. I love to educate people about toxins because this is an area where many people don't know about the potential dangers. And they often ask me how they can get tested and where they can learn more about their personal exposure. And today I have Dr. Jenna Hua, who's going to tell us all about how to get tested and more about her company. Welcome, Dr. Jenna. Thank you. Thank you, Shala. I'm excited to be here. When I first started looking at chemical exposure about nine years ago, and that was when I started my fertility journey, and I have to say that it was very difficult for me at first because I was somebody that was pretty much addicted to fragrance. I had the plug-ins, the sprays, the lotions, all of the makeup, all of those things. And then once I learned about all the dangers of fragrance, I thought, well, I can't have these in my life. And so I slowly made the change. And now I really can't imagine my life going back to using fragrances. Was there something for you that was very difficult when you first started on this journey? Absolutely. I started on this journey actually from my graduate. I was trained as a 
nutritionist, dietitian, I worked in a hospital for a bit and nobody listens to me because uh, changing behavior is very, very hard. Yes. So at the time I thought I would study environmental health and then that way when we change the environment, then the change people can do is a lot more permanent. I don't have to tell them what to do because the environment is not available for them to actually commit to some kind of... That's why I started my journey studying environmental health and my master and uh, PhD research have been on how does the food environment, you know, where do we shop for food and what do we eat actually impact our health. And it was through that research, I realized it's not just where we shop impacting our health. It's also what's in our food. That was my first exposure to environmental toxin that we have pesticides in food, we have heavy metals in food, but how does those actually impact our health? That was sort of the beginning. Then that sort of opened up whole new doors. Okay, besides pesticides, uh, heavy metals, we have a lot of man-made toxics. Uh, like you said, fragrance. That's in everyday products that actually impact our health. It's interesting you mentioned a fragrance first because Fragrance is this umbrella term that could include like over 3,000 chemicals in them. And it's just like pretty crazy. And a lot of them actually already show having detrimental health impact, not just to fertility, but also to diabetes, breast cancer, you name it. Yeah. And I think one of the hard parts is that most physicians, most practitioners don't have an understanding about the dangers of chemicals because we don't get the information through our medical training about this. This is something that I learned about on my own research because I was trying to embark on trying to get pregnant. And so that is the challenging part, that most physicians don't have an understanding of this. So a lot of times patients have to do their own research and they may feel like, oh, it can't be that relevant because why is this not public knowledge? How are we going to get this message out more and get more people to have an understanding of the true dangers of toxic chemicals. That's actually exactly one of the missions that we're trying to achieve at Million Marker and my company is there, I think there's such a lack in terms of science translation. We have the science, but we're not communicating effectively to the public, to physicians, to people who can distribute this information. And Not everybody is trained as a chemist. Not everybody wants to read long chemical names. But I think educating the public about potential dangers of these chemicals really because also I think in public's eyes, people expect that everything in the market is safe. The FDA and the government is protecting us. But many times we have lobbyists that we have industry that puts a lot of influence in terms of how these chemicals are studied and put in the market. And there's just like very, very hard to control. So by providing the information to the public, educating the public, we can actually work together to push for safer chemical policies and providing a better environment for all. But accessing the information, having the data and being aware of the health impact of these chemicals, I think it's like the first step. It's very difficult also that this is not accessible to everyone. That's something that is hard for me. And you talk about how being able to make these changes is much easier if you come from a higher socioeconomic class or those who have more education, they may have more access. And those who may live in more urban areas, they don't have access to getting cleaner products. So I think 
trying to push for changes and regulations is really where we're going to see the biggest change for everyone's health. Oh, we completely agree. I think if one day that we don't have to exist, that would be like the perfect solution. But to start somewhere, we have to get people the data. And as you said, we actually see there's a lot of disparity with uh, chemical exposures. Oftentimes, yes, it is the urban area. It is people who are with lower socioeconomic status using a lot of products, not aware that these products are not good for them, actually having a lot of high exposures. And then it's also the same population who might not be able to afford a test currently like ours. And I can also go into a little bit of the hurdles that we're facing about offering this kind of test because currently these kind of tests are only available in research labs or at the CDC. It's not large scale. And also the method has been decades old. Inefficiency could be improved in terms of the lab methods. As we get the volume up, then the sample cost unit economics could go down a lot further. That way then we can make the test more accessible to other people. Yeah, I think that's super important. I love the work you're doing. Can you tell us a little bit more about Million Marker and why you started the company? Yes. So we're a Million Marker. We started about two years ago. We're on the mission of providing people to make them take control of their environmental exposures, that together we can create a more sustainable future. Because environmental exposures are very broad, we have to start somewhere. So the first test we offered is a test allowing people to know their plastic and then common everyday product harmful chemical exposures. And that includes people probably familiar with BPA that have been in the news quite a bit, even though BPA has been banned, but industry have changed to BPS, BPF, which have the same health impact as well as other chemicals in personal care products. Like you mentioned before, phthalates is in a lot of fragrances, other chemicals like parabens, the triclosan. So our first test is allowing people to know these kind of exposures. That way they can readily know, identify their sources and then make changes to reduce these. Ex- I started a company because I was frustrated that we have no data to study these chemicals, to study environmental exposures. And there is no personalized way to allow people to know what exactly they're exposed to, where are the sources, so they can make changes. It's also fueled by my personal fertility struggle, kind of like you. I started like paying a lot more attention uh, when I was uh, trying to get pregnant uh, the first time. And I realized like, whoa, there are so many things we need to avoid. Where do I start? And then once I encountered my fertility struggle, I went to my OBs and I asked them, can I take a test to allow me to understand if I have any of these exposures? But the only test available was heavy metal. So it was really mind-boggling this day and age. We can test our genes and left and right that we, we can't really change our genes. But for environment where we can make simple actions to change our exposures, there really isn't a test that's available. Uh, so that kind of like, okay, I think we need something like this. And that prompted me to start a company. Yeah, I agree because I get a lot of patients who ask me, okay, so now you talked about chemicals. Well, how can I get tested? And for so long, I have said, listen, just assume we know that the CDC has said 95% of people have exposure to X chemical. So just assume you have it. And then let's just try to work on trying to reduce your exposure. But I think that it's important to look at individuals because you could have two people live in the same household, but in fact, their exposures are different. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yes, I think this actually have to do with our genetics and then how our body metabolize these chemicals, right? Like given you and I have different genes, even if we have the same amount of exposure, we would respond very differently. And that's why we trying to promote people testing individually. So then they know exactly how their body is processing these chemicals and do they need to worry about it. And so far we've ran about, you know, 90 pilot testers. What we have observed is that some people, fairly low risk profile, they're already doing a lot of right things. So their level tested high versus some people with high risk profiles, their levels are kind of low. Right now, there isn't a genetic marker allow people to actually know, you know, what causes this. But at least we can observe in your metabolizing our test that if you are someone with a low risk profile already, you're doing all the right things that you are testing for with a high level, then by all means, please avoid as much as possible because your body is not as efficient as, as others getting rid of them uh, versus someone who is, okay, your body is very efficient at getting rid of them. Maybe you don't need to worry as much. But the bottom line is that these chemicals have no business of being in your body. They don't do any good. They can only do harm. So everybody should try to reduce as much as possible. I completely agree. I think sometimes there's pushback like, why should I worry about it? It's such a small, tiny amount, right? It's just a little amount. It can't be that bad. But can you explain why a small amount, why it may in fact actually be problematic? Oh, yes. Okay. There are several folds uh, to this. First, I think we can backtrack a little bit. Uh, these chemicals are often also called hormone disrupting chemicals, right? And when you talk about hormone, hormone pretty much regulate everything in your body from your sleep, your brain function to your metabolism. Everything is regulated by your hormone. And a hormone works in such tiny amount. It's talking about one drop of water in 25 Olympic-sized swimming pool. That's like that tiny amount could make a huge difference. So then when you talk about these chemical exposures, you literally just need a tiny bit. You can't even like visualize. That could cause a potential impact. And when we talk about also these chemicals, are you're talking about day in and day out exposure, day after day. So continuously putting on your body, even though it's tiny amount, but you're accumulating. At the same time, as I mentioned, it doesn't take that much to cause the impact. So you like should really worry about it. And even though it's like really tiny amount. The other thing is that they are not going to kill you tomorrow, but you just have no idea that 10 years down the road, what would it happen? And the younger you are, the potential detrimental effect could have because these developmental timing really matters. And that's why we really want people who are planning for pregnancy, if you're planning for one, that you should get it checked. That way you can provide a healthy environment even before you get pregnant. So then your baby can have even safer environment to grow before he or she uh, is born. I completely agree. It's something I think that everyone should look at, right? Both men and women, because I think sometimes women really are the ones who will be paying most attention, but this is something that also can impact men's health and men's sperm health as well, right? Absolutely. Particularly phthalates. It actually have been in the news uh, quite a bit because thanks to Dr. Shana Swan's book, A Countdown, that have already shown decades of studies showing like phthalates, these synthetic chemicals have been impacting sperm quality and sperm health. And 
yeah, men oftentimes don't pay attention, but again, like shaving cream, hair gel, uh, perfume, um, cologne, all these could have these potential chemicals in them and it could impact sperm health. And then it takes two to make a baby. It takes both the sperm and egg and the sperm counts for half of the equation. So that's also really important. Yeah, I think it's also crazy, as you mentioned, that we have decades of research, yet we still are so far behind in really getting people to pay attention. I mean, I think that the tides are changing, and I've heard people sort of say that this is our generation's, like, smoking, right? So maybe in the future we will see that things will change and we'll wonder how did we allow these chemicals to be present. I hope I'll see that in my lifetime. These are things that impact everybody. And even if you're not trying to get pregnant, I mean, this is something that can impact the hormone system. It can impact obesity, diabetes, and other diseases like endometriosis or PCOS can be impacted by all of these toxins. When you develop the test, how did you decide which chemicals to start with? And what are you testing for right now? So when we first started, we did some consumer surveys. We asked the people what they're interested in. The common feedback is people want something actionable, right? And they don't want to feel doom and gloom. And that's why that's where we headed to is like, okay, what are the chemicals that readily you make a change you can eliminate from your body and you can actually see it? And then this is the group of chemicals in personal care product, household product to do with everyday behavior. And then these are simple steps. I think a changing diet is hard. You know, we say it's easy, but it's hard. But swapping out a personal care product, that's relatively easy. And it's not even, this is a, another thinking is that it's not just good for your health, right? It's also a lot of time these chemicals are much tied to the environment in general, like plastic exposure, because say BPN phthalates are used in as plasticizers. So if you reduce these exposure, not only it's good for you, but it's also good for the environment. So this whole environmental impact, outer environmental impact is also quite important to people. So that's when we decided, okay, our first test will test for BPA phthalates, BPA alternatives, as well as the chemicals in personal care product like parabens, triclosan, benzophenol. Uh, so these are the chemicals we wanted to tackle first, but we also gotten the feedback in the future that People are interested in pesticide testing to see, okay, if I'm switching to eat organic, is this effective? Uh, do I have less pesticide exposure? Another one is uh, California have been experiencing a lot of wildfires. People wonder that, okay, if I put an air purifier at home, if I have these exposures, is it effective? What's my air quality? What's my air pollution exposure? So pH is another chemical that we could test for in the future to let people know what are their air pollution exposures. So I imagine that you've taken this test uh, a few times. Was yes. there anything that you were surprised by when, you know, I'm sure you were leading a clean lifestyle when you tested and you thought, oh, I'm going to probably have good levels. Was there any surprises for you? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I was quite surprised. Um, so this one time I took the test after I switched to a new vitamin. I always read labels and making sure, okay, the capsule is made of vegetarian uh, cellulose and to make sure that it has no phthalates in it. Um, this one time when I switched to a vitamin that I actually bought at Whole Foods thinking it would be safe. But after I took it, my phthalate level went up like super high. Low molecular wow. weight phthalate level went up That's super crazy. high. 
I was very surprised. And then by doing elimination, I realized it was a vitamin that I was taking that caused this because uh, many times vitamin capsule or medication capsule oftentimes could still be made of these plasticizers that would just shoot up your level high. And then the moment I stopped taking it, I retake the test, my level dropped down to, you know, b- below 25th percentile, which is fairly low. That was a surprise. The second surprise I had was uh, when we first started Million Market, I was packing up all the boxes uh, in my garage. Clear packing tapes sometimes can be also bad. Uh, that wow. also gave me a lot of high molecular weight phthalates exposure because uh, phthalates actually used to make plastic soft, flexible. That was used in clear packing tapes. So I was like, okay, next time I'm packing out packages, let's wear a glove or wash our hands immediately after using it. I did not know about that at all. So that is really important if you are someone who's working in a place where you're using a lot of packing tape. It would be probably beneficial to wear gloves. Oh, absolutely. If you're packing up a lot of packages, touching a lot of clear tape, please wear gloves. If you just do it one time, please wash your hands after. Uh, Or if you work at a cash register, also please make sure you wear gloves because a lot of thermal receipt is coded by BPA and now could be BPS, BPF, BPA alternatives. And the BPA is used to code thermal receipt paper used in canned food. Uh, it's also an endocrine disrupting chemical. So yeah, if you're touching a lot of receipt, please wear gloves. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And the other thing that I think is really important is everybody's using hand sanitizer now. And I had recently learned about hand sanitizer increasing BPA exposure. If you're doing a lot of, you know, retail and you're touching receipts, that hand sanitizer can increase absorption of BPA. Yeah, it's it's pretty scary. So please wear gloves if you're touching those. So you mentioned phthalates in capsules. This is something that I learned about maybe a few years ago. And how do we go about avoiding phthalates in vitamin capsules or knowing that your vitamins or supplements do not have phthalates? Because a lot of patients who are on Fertility Journey are taking tons of supplements. So I think that that could be a really large exposure. Right now, the best way is to look at when you buy a supplement, you look at the back of the ingredient label and check other ingredients. Usually it's like sort of on the bottom hidden somewhere, but definitely check other ingredients to make sure the capsule is made of vegetarian cellulose. So that will make sure it's not chemical related. That usually is pretty safe. But there's also no guarantee because phthalates is literally everywhere. That's also part of the reason why we want people to test themselves because you can't possibly go out test for every single product. And Industry actually face a lot of a problem themselves to even like a good brand and trying to change their process of making safer product. And a lot of time they have no control over their supply chain because there's so many steps in the supply chain. So it's really hard also for industry to change. But I, I do think industry needs to be more responsible and then have like a clear path to their s- supply chain. But at, at least for now, that process hasn't been as transparent as we want. So checking the other ingredient on the back of the vitamin bottle is the best way to go about it. You had mentioned that you got the supplements at Whole Foods. So we assume you're buying it at Whole Foods. It's got to be clean. It's got to be fine for you, right? So you have to do more homework, which sometimes can be really frustrating because you're assuming like, I'm doing something good for myself because I'm purchasing this at Whole Foods. 
And, and, you know, you even mentioned supply chain and that comes with personal care products a lot too. Like you might be buying a clean personal care product, but in fact, that manufacturer is getting it from somewhere in the supply chain where it's contaminated with heavy metals or other chemicals that they don't want to be in their product, but in fact is in the product. So you really need to do your homework. Tell us a little bit about the process of the test and how it goes from start to finding out results. Yes. So right now people can order a test online from us and I will send you a test kit. The test kit will have a pickup, a biohazard bag, and then return shipping label. And we ask our users uh, to take an exposure survey using our app before they submit their sample. By taking the exposure survey, this will allow us to pinpoint and identify their potential sources. The exposure survey asks them about what they have consumed in terms of diet, how many times they've eaten out, what kind of food or packaged food they have been eating, and the, the products they have used. So user can simply snap a photo, send it to us, and we do a comprehensive lifestyle audit. Then once we receive the sample, our third-party lab will process the sample and then generate the results of what your levels are. Using that data, then we pair with the lifestyle audit, then we can pinpoint where your sources are coming from. And we also let you know what your levels are, how you compare to our existing users, and also how you compare with the national average. So if you're, you know, below 25th percentile, you might not need to worry too much. There's still room to improve, but you don't need to worry as much. If you're a medium between 25th to 75th percentile, then you should really try and thinking about reducing it. If you're above 75th percentile, that means your levels are high. Then you should, by all means, please take some actions, get down your levels. Then you can come back if you want, come back, get tested again to confirm your results or uh, we'll keep a track of your exposures. Because oftentimes, because these chemicals are everywhere, at least uh, to me, with continuous testing, many times it's a good reminder. Uh, we really felt that people should get repeated testing because sometimes people just forget people tend to like get back into their usual routine and forget about, okay, shoot, like I touched this, I should really wash my hand. I should really eat less canned food um, or drink less like canned drinks. These kind of things people often forget. So periodic testing will give you uh, a reminder and also kind of creating an exposure profile for yourself. So you mentioned about packaging of food and processed food. Why is that important to pay attention to? A lot of the food packaging, as well as takeout containers, canned food, it could contain BPA and phthalates. Particularly canned food is lined by BPA or BPA alternatives. So even if the product says BPA-free, a lot of time it's not guaranteed it's free. BPA-free is a more of a loose term that industry use and any manufacturer can put that label on. Even in the EU, when BPA is regulated, BPA-free means if it's less than 0.5 milligrams per kilogram of content. That means if you actually consume a lot of BPA-free food, it could still accumulate because it's not exactly free. Free doesn't exactly mean free. And that's kind of like the same thing as people see trans fat-free on the label, but trans fat free doesn't mean it's completely trans fat free. If you eat a lot of trans fat free food, you will still get a lot of trans fat. I think it's more of a marketing ploy, right? They know that we're nervous about BPA and the effects of BPA. So they're like, let's put BPA free on this can. And then everybody thinks it's safe because I get a lot of questions about 
well, isn't BPA-free plastic fine? And what about BPA-free cans? And as you said, just because it says BPA-free doesn't mean it's free of the bisphenol class because there is also, you know, A through Z bisphenols that could be exposure. Exactly, exactly. So when it comes to bottles, we always tell people use stainless steel, use glass, uh, same as containers. You know, if you go out to eat, bring your containers to bring back takeout if you can. I think COVID sort of like made everything going backwards for many years. And hopefully now as we're opening up, it will change. One of the things I think is difficult is trying to make all of these changes. How do we even start this process? Because I know overwhelm, that's something that I really try to stress. Like, don't get overwhelmed because we don't want to create more stress for ourselves. So how do you even start? I think it just like depending on, you know, again, where your exposures are coming from. If you take a simple exposure survey that we provide, you can already identify how many times are you eating out? If you're eating out three times a week or more, maybe trying to cut down once, right? Like uh, eating out two times a week or eating out just one time a, a week. That's a good way to start. If you're using a lot of personal care product, maybe swapping out one or two. We actually get a lot of visitors on our website looking at our approved product to making sure it's free of these uh, toxic chemicals. The shampoo page is uh, one of the most visited page because I think if people use these products day in and day out, maybe that would be a first step to swap. You don't have to swap out everything. Just do one thing at a time and then slowly swapping out the rest. And also you don't need to do a, a complete kitchen makeover because that's also costs a lot. Just start from say, if you use bottled water every day, maybe swapping out that to a glass bottle and have a filter at home and then starting from that. Then slowly swapping out, okay, is your container all plastic? Maybe switching out your container to glass containers or stainless steel containers. The next thing you can look at, okay, my pots and pans. Pots and pans, you don't have to worry about BPA, but one other chemical, PFAS, you do have to worry about. That has also been in the news a lot. So maybe that would be the next step. Ceramics is a good one. There are already brand um, making PFAS-free nonstick pans or cast iron. It's the best. It's a little bit heavier. It also, it never breaks. So that would be another step. Then you can think about, okay, my bathroom, again, shampoos. And then you can think about if you use a lot of makeup, then start thinking about your makeup, your fragrance. Just one step at a time that people don't have to swap out everything all at once. Yeah, I think starting one step at a time, maybe one thing per week, one every other week is kind of how you start. And then you'll build on the momentum and all the things you talked about trying to swap out little things. I mean, like, for example, pans. And if you're using nonstick pans, in fact, those pans actually don't last as long as something like cast iron or stainless steel. Exactly. So it's a much better investment for longevity and also for your health. And so I think it's good to start there. And the other thing I tell patients too is you don't need to have a hundred beauty products, right? So we like to collect. <laughs> we like to have like 10 different lipsticks. Maybe it's you're going to have two lipsticks. Maybe you're going to have a smaller amount of products. And is it true that these things cost more than other products? What's your experience with that? I think some of them do cost more. But I think on our website, we're trying to accumulate a wide range of pricing product. I do think as we move 
towards a healthier, like cleaner product, I think price will drop. There are some product right now still indeed expensive, but I think there are now smaller brands trying to create newer product that's affordable. And also there are product that, you know, I think that sometimes it's really hard for people to find. They think that clean product is all kind of like boutique and it's hard to find. But I think if you don't want to go through the trouble to find like completely clean product, and then we also got the feedback sometimes that completely clean product is not as user-friendly, then choose a middle ground because that middle ground is still better than using the conventional that's full of chemical product, right? And so one step at a time, you don't have to go all the way in and then you don't have to look for the fanciest thing to use because that's not necessary. And also everybody has different preferences. So finding a product that fits your budget and then fits your taste, I, I think that's important. And then there are a lot of them that's available. Also, just keep in mind, if you are using like name brand makeup or certain things, those are expensive. And just because you're purchasing it at the department store or Sephora, you might be spending more actually than some of the cleaner brands on some of these designer makeup brands. I think one of the things that someone might feel overwhelmed with is the idea that, okay, I have exposure and what can I do now? I've already had exposure for years. Is the damage done already? Does it take forever to reverse these effects? Is this something that happens quickly? Can you talk a little bit about that? These chemicals, according to research, um, that they supposed to be short-lived in your body, but I don't think we have complete answers in terms of like their accumulating effect. And then if you eliminate them, could they reverse the impact? The science we actually don't know. But what we know is, yes, they do have impact and you should try to eliminate them. And if you make a change, you could dramatically see the results within a couple of weeks that you already see your level drops down. So you just need to have that momentum and to keep it going to maintain this healthy lifestyle. Like you said, it's important to know that just any change you're doing is helpful. That's often how I encourage people to start is that anything is better than zero. You do not have to be perfect. I'm sure if I took your test as everybody, they have exposures, right? Everybody has exposure. Exactly. And so you just have to kind of start with something is better than nothing. And if for some reason you're not able to wear gloves at your job and you have exposure to BPA, just really trying to wash your hands and doing what you can. Because exactly. the producing extra anxiety isn't going to help us either. No, right? no. We definitely don't want people to have extra anxiety. It's just like one step at a time, um, one product at a time. Because doing this is, again, not just good for your health. It's also good for the environment. And often we have seen what happens when people start changing one behavior, it actually influences their other behaviors. You know, I started using safer product. I started caring about the environment. All of a sudden I was like, Okay, started caring about my food and this healthy lifestyle kind of spirals. Okay, maybe I need to exercise more. Maybe I need to do this and I need to do that. And then maybe I need to get my entire family to, to join me to do all these things. So you can kind of see this healthy behavior spirals and that's really encouraging to see. So I think everybody just need to start somewhere, start small and then continue. Yeah, I agree. It actually does impact other things like, oh, I need to look at, like you said, working out or maybe trying to eat healthier. And if you're going to be cooking more at home, you're more likely to be 
not only eating healthier, but less exposure to toxins if you're using stainless steel cast iron or glass for your home cooking, you're definitely going to have a lot less exposure. I think starting little bit by little bit. And, and sometimes I think one of the difficult things is really getting your partner on board or whoever lives in your household. Do you have any recommendations for that? Uh, I think this is like the power of women, right? Like we make a lot of decisions at home. And uh, at least for me, for my husband, I literally just like swapped out all his like shaving creams and all these things. And then just, hey, use this. Sometimes he also gets frustrated, but I was like, just do this. It's, it's, it's good for you. But I think also, <laughs> also times that we also want to educate our family, right? Like why this is bad. And then once you start using it, uh, they get used to it and they're like, okay, this is the actually better. One other analogy I, I wanted to use is back in when I was a, a dietitian, we always tell people to stop eating fast food. I mean, eating once in a while is fine. Everything in moderation is fine, but your taste buds actually changes every three weeks. So the, the last you have exposed to this kind of thing, then your taste actually changes. And it's the same thing you get used to, like maybe in the beginning, you might not used to a cleaner shampoo, say it doesn't foam as much or a, a toothpaste doesn't foam as much. After a while you get used to it. So, okay. Oh, okay. Now I can't go back to the old one that I'm using. So it's, I guess it's the same thing. Completely agree with that one because like when I first started trying to do clean beauty, like I said, was eight, nine years ago and the choices back then were not the best, right? Yeah. So the hardest thing was me changing and having products that maybe I felt like didn't perform as well. And I thought to myself, after my fertility journey later on, I'm just going to come back to these things. Well, now I, I can't even go into some of the stores where I used to shop for some of these fragrance products because I just find it, you know, very difficult for me to be in there because it smells so strong. Yeah. So I really think you change. And the other thing I'll say is that I was, you know, talking about now there are so many options, right? Exactly. So now there's really no reason to use products that have all these toxic chemicals in it because there's plenty of beauty products that perform just as well as the conventional products. There's plenty of cleaning products that perform just as well. And there are actually options that you can do, you know, make at home cleaning products, right? Absolutely. So it doesn't mean that you have to spend tons of money purchasing cleaning products. There have been studies that looked at cleaning products with just using like vinegar and baking soda. They can clean just as well. And that will help not only for fertility, but respiratory issues like asthma and things like that can be benefited by cleaning products. Exactly. A lot of the conventional uh, cleaning product actually have volatile organic compounds, VOCs. And that have shown to link to childhood asthma and, and asthma outbreaks. So definitely if you're switching out to just baking soda and vinegar, organic, that would definitely help. You don't have to worry about breaking the bank to do these changes. There's a lot of DIY recipes online where you can still clean your home. I think one of the things to acknowledge also is that a lot of us grew up with certain smells in the home, mm -hmm. of laundry, of cleaning the floors. So we have this association, right, that that means clean, right? Yeah. That if it smells like X, that means clean, and our laundry should smell like summer breeze or whatever. 
<laughs> but you know, right? It doesn't mean it's clean just because it has that smell. And we've associated with smell equals clean. I completely agree. I think that was also one of my fertile and also me convincing my husband change out our laundry and he's, he just like doesn't smell good. Uh, yes. But I'm like, that smell is like completely artificial. It doesn't do any good. Right. It doesn't mean it's, it's plastic. And it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly. It's plastics. I think people will need to change their mindset a little bit. But once you get used to it, then you're totally fine. And then you probably will never go back to the original smell that you actually associated with clean. Yeah, definitely. I agree. The one thing also I wanted to talk about is this idea that if it's natural, means it's safe. And if it's a synthetic, means it's not safe. Can you talk a little bit about that? I think this is a dilemma. Natural doesn't always mean it's safe. There are actually a lot of toxins that occur naturally, like mycotoxins that seem peanuts that could cause cancer. And then there are also a lot of natural phytoestrogens, for example, in soy doesn't mean it's not safe, right? So there's like a balance. And then for synthetic, it's the same thing. There are a lot of synthetic stuff that's bad, but synthetic stuff can also help with a lot of other things. Now that we started having um, synthetic alternative chemicals that could also be good to increase performance, but also healthy. And I think this needs to be effort on also on the industry side to make sure we have good safety testing. This is also kind of going back to the question you asked earlier that why tiny amounts can make a huge impact uh, with these hormone disrupting chemicals. One thing that's lacking in the current sort of a toxicology testing for these chemicals is that when we test for these chemicals, we're uh, looking at safety of these chemicals that we test for is that we're only test for the outcome as death or cancer. But, yes. you know, it's kind of crazy because in order to get to death or cancer, it's a long road and nobody really think about quality of life. Nobody really think about this whole path, right? And then a lot of these chemicals, actually, the impact happens with tiny amount. So when we test for, okay, one, a zero uh, to 50 to 100 to 200, like in, in terms of amount, that doesn't really right. show too much because a lot of impact actually happened between zero to one. So as we producing more synthetic and more alternative chemicals, I think it's really important for us to have really stringent testing program to actually look at these windows to making sure, okay, it's actually safe. And then so we can put it out for consumer use and then for public use. But yes, natural doesn't mean it's all good and synthetic doesn't mean it's all bad. It's all about balance. Yeah, that's one of those misconceptions I see on Instagram all the time. Oh, just use this natural thing. It's all 100% natural. That means it's safe, right? But there are some essential oils and things like that that may not be safe if you're trying to conceive or if you're pregnant. So you really need to pay attention to those things. And I agree with you. These chemical exposures, we're seeing things like fertility issues in males, uh, you know, from fetal exposure in males 20, 30 years down the line. So trying to link them and not to mention that often the testing that's done on chemicals is like individual chemicals, right? Yep. For yep. short periods of time, individual chemicals um, done in rats for a short period of time. We can't test humans for three generations to nope. try to look and see how it affects. No, there's definitely limitation in current research. And that's also 
one of the vision for the company is we can build this comprehensive environmental exposure database and then we can track people longitudinally so then we can benefit the future generation because ethically we can't test humans right we can't put right. people on the high exposure and then actually test humans we cannot do right. that and then exactly also as you said right now we're studying these chemicals one at a time but we're actually exposed to thousands of them all at once but we don't really have a way to study it. So the current study is limited, but with limited information, we still want to make informed decisions that we don't have any regrettable substitute being put out to, you know, hurting human health. At the same time, we want to take this concept called precautionary principles. So if we know something could be potentially harmful, we definitely don't want to use it. And then we don't want to let people exposed to it could have this potential impact. But moving forward, I think having more information and being able to actually study these chemicals longitudinally will definitely benefit our future generations. Yeah, I like that vision of just really getting the data for generations. Of course, that takes a lot of time. It will take a lot of people to really see those things. But I think that that is really important for us to be able to see what's going on. Other thing I really wanted to ask you is how did you get the name Million Marker? Actually, my PhD advisor helped come up with the, this name. We had brainstormed many names, but this name is tied to the vision of the company. So these metabolized these chemicals that we test in people's body, we call them biomarkers. So Right now, we're starting with a few biomarkers, markers, and we're hoping with the data we accumulate, one day we'll be able to discover over a million biomarkers that could inform people's health. That way, they don't have to wait until disease happens and then treat disease. Then we can take prevention into everybody's hands, knowing it early, prevent it early, so then we can live a better, healthy life. I love that. Having the long-term vision goal for the company. I, I love that. So in wrapping up, is there any last things that you want to tell us about your test and the importance and how people can find the test? Yes, people can go to our website, www.millionmarker.com or follow us on social. We're pretty active on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. We also have a TikTok account and our goal is raising awareness so people can care about these chemicals and then reducing them and then live healthier lifestyle. So please follow us on social. And if you have any additional questions, feel free to join our mailing list and such as uh, through our website and we're happy to answer any questions anybody have. Thank you. I think your Instagram is fabulous. You have so much great information. So if you're not following Million Marker, you should do that. As well as the website, you have so many wonderful blogs on there with so much information. So that's a place I would definitely tell listeners to go to to get more information on this important topic. Now, I think it's really important to prioritize mental well-being. Mental well-being, first and foremost, is one of the things I encourage. And I think one of the important things in that is finding joy in just our everyday lives. What is something that brings you joy? Food. I, <laughs> I really love to eat and I love to cook. So I think like cooking and then making good food and enjoying with family and friends is uh, what really brings me joy and also de-stress me. Besides physical activity, um, yoga, 
breathing. These are important things, but I would say, yeah, food and cooking is my ultimate passion. If I'm not like working at Million Marker, I would love to be a chef one day. Oh, I love that. What do you like to cook? Everything that's delicious.、Uh, my most recent obsession have been using this fantastic cookingware. It's a Japanese clay pot. It's called Donabe. Oh.、Um, I have been really fascinated with it. And it's, it's、uh, made of clay from this area in Japan, but many areas of the world make these clay pots. They're actually toxic free, no Teflon coating. PFAS free.、Okay. Where do you order it? I need to get one. So it's actually in LA. So, uh, uh, Toiro Kitchen, I can send、okay. you the link.、Oh, so I ordered my clay pot from there. So that has been my latest obsession besides baking, besides other things, but pretty much anything delicious, simple to cook. I, I love to make it. What kind of things do you make in the clay pot? Clay pot, the, I make it a lot is、uh, clay pot rice, but I、oh. was、uh, really surprised that clay pot actually, it's very versatile. Uh, you can do stir fry, you can bake casserole in it. I loved it so much that I bought my second clay pot、oh, <laughs> that、wow. almost looks like a, a tagine. So, the so dome、okay. lid that comes with a clay pot, you can use for stir fry. If you,、uh, if you wet the lid, it doesn't create a smoky flavor, it steams the, the content. But if you actually don't wet the lid, You can actually almost grill the vegetable, like、uh, smoke it inside、oh. the pot. So that was like a really magical experience for me. And I just loved it. Oh, I love that. I have to get one because I'm always looking for new things in the kitchen, new things to cook. So, okay, I, I have to send you. Have yes, to send please. You. And we'll put that in the show notes too if you're interested in getting a clay pot. Because if Jenna approves it, then we all should get it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Jenna, for being here today. I really enjoyed this conversation. I look forward to Million Marker seeing it grow. And I hope I'm going to do a one test soon. I'm a little nervous, to be honest, to do my own test, but I need to do one just to see if there's any areas I still have to work on. Thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. And if, yeah, if anybody has any questions, if you have any questions, feel free to contact us. We're always here to help. Thanks so much. Bye bye. Bye. The Fertility Journeys podcast. Thank you for listening today. Episodes of Fertility Journeys drop every week. Follow wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at fertilityjourneys.org. Next time on the Fertility Journeys podcast. It's really not too often that you meet someone who is an Ayurvedic specialist and practitioner who also does fertility. Today's guest is deeply passionate about the healing powers of food and the balance of mind, body, and spirit for optimal health. Thank you, Namisha, for being here. So, there's those aspects of Ayurveda and fertility. We know now your menstrual cycle is like your fifth vital sign, meaning that just like your pulse and your temperature convey a lot about your own health. Your menstrual cycle can convey a lot about your health. So it's not just related to fertility. So you want to have a healthy period, regardless if you want to have children or not, because your menstrual cycle can tell you about your brain health. It can tell you about your heart health. It can tell you if you're anemic or not. You know, there's just so many other signs that your menstrual、mm-hmm. cycle can tell you. And so Ayurveda really gleaned on that. And a lot of taking care of women's health, it's also about taking care of the menstrual health. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Please consult with your own physician as information shared on this podcast is not a substitute for medical advice.